Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, did you hear that they're doing a new Netflix documentary on uh, on Flat Earthers? Oh, yeah? That actually seems completely plausible to me in the 2019 media landscape. But what's the uh, dad joke? I hear that the end is a real cliffhanger. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you remember how, like, TLC used to have shows that were about learning because it was the learning channel, and now they have shows where, like, people hunt for ghosts? Don't go chasing waterfalls. I Different thought TLC. that was TLC that you were talking about. Well, I mean, it's a different TLC than the one you were talking about, (laughs) but it's the other TLC. For a second there, Hank, I thought you really were T-Boz Watkins, but no, it's just Hank Green. Did you just look up a member of TLC very quickly on Google? Because there's no way you know who T-Boz Watkins is. I do know who T-Boz Watkins is. I can tell you everything about her work. Well, I look forward to learning more during This Week in Ryan's. No, there's no way we're talking about (laughs) T-Boss Watkins during This Week in Ryan's. I know exactly who we're talking about. And in fact, that brings me to our first question. All right, let's do it then. Hank, I want to share with you what I would have tweeted this week. Oh, okay. You're going to... I like it. Bring this thing back. I'm off the Twitter, but Mm -hmm. I still sometimes have thoughts that come in the form of 240 characters. The other day, there was a Canadian judge who was presiding over a horrible case. I don't want to get into the details of it, but it was absolutely horrible. Mm -hmm. And the judge said to the assembled crowd, ask yourself if you need to be here. And I thought, that's a great thing for a judge to say in that situation, in that courtroom. It's also a great thing for pretty much every human to say pretty much every moment of the day. Like the next time you're on Twitter or Reddit or Facebook or you're like way deep down a Ted Bundy rabbit hole or wherever you find yourself, just remember that Canadian judge and ask yourself if you need to be here. 
Uh, but where else am I going to be? The coffee shop? That's expensive. They want you to buy things. Maybe you could be in conversation with your beautiful child. That is actually good. He is a very good conversationalist. He told me to go get him a ball. It was mm-hmm. downstairs. He said, Dada, go get Oren ball downstairs, please. And I was like, that's a full-on sentence, man. That was the whole thing. You got it. Hank, we've got to get to questions from our listeners, especially this first question. We've been making this podcast for I don't know exactly how long, but it feels like 755,000 years. And this, this question from Emily is the single greatest question I have ever read. And admittedly, I am biased because Emily and I share certain experiences, but I'm just going to read it. Dear John and Hank, I recently started having fairly intense dreams about Keanu Reeves, who I previously hadn't given a second thought beyond enjoying some of his movies. Now, John, 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 you have to stop. You have to stop already. Okay. Uh, Because you said you share certain experiences with Emily, and now I am definitely sure that you have recurrent dreams about Keanu Reeves. I don't have recurrent dreams about Keanu Reeves. I have recurrent dreams about John Cena. We'll get there in a second, but I do... (laughs) think a lot about Keanu Reeves during my oh. waking hours, as you know, Hank, oh, because... all right. Then I will stop interrupting you. I'm so sorry. This is great. Right. Back to the question. While the dreams about Keanu aren't bad, per se, they're actually great. They won't <laughs> stop, and they're becoming fairly annoying because they're taking up so much of my mental energy when I've got other things to do. Mm-hmm. What I think is happening is that I'm having trouble grieving my grandmother, who recently oh passed away. Well, that took a turn. Yeah. And my brain has decided that Keanu Reeves is the solution. Emily, I think your brain is right, but we'll get there. I'm not sure I agree. I work really long hours, and the whole experience around her death has left me feeling exhausted, and I'm having trouble initiating the grieving process. Any suggestion on how I can help myself grieve and stop Keanu Reeves from trying to help? I feel like if Keanu Reeves is trying to help, you got to let him. Yeah. Emily, Keanu Reeves is not the person on earth who is the closest to achieving enlightenment, but he is the closest famous person on earth (laughs) to achieving enlightenment. Keanu Reeves, as you know, Hank, I spent a lot of time thinking about Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is a fascinating person. He has lived with terrible instability. He's lived with terrible loss. And I I don't like believe in supernatural stuff except when it comes to Keanu Reeves. And Keanu Reeves is reaching out a hand to you and telling you that you are going to be okay, that this won't be easy, that this won't be painless, that this won't be immediate, but that you will be okay. And you need to take Keanu's hand and you need to follow him where he takes you. Yeah, and and I mean, I think it's interesting uh, to say that you're having trouble initiating the grieving process because, of course, what grief looks like isn't the same in every situation and for every person. And if your brain is hiding from, from grief through Keanu Reeves, maybe that's something to address. But also maybe the, the process of grief in this case is just going to be different. And that doesn't mean that it's bad or that you're bad. The other thing that I want to add to this, John, mm-hmm. is... Is it possible that Keanu Reeves is such a like genuinely good guy, giving up his seat on the subway to people, sharing uh, all of his royalties from The Matrix 2 with the crew because he felt like they did all the hard work and such, because he was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and he really took the message, be excellent to each other, to his heart, and that that was like a though a very silly movie ended up being an extremely formative uh, like self philosophy that he has stuck to for his entire career. 
Because if you're going to pick one, I wouldn't go with John Wick. I would go with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Be excellent Although I would to argue that John Wick is a film about a person of, of tremendous principles who just feels extremely strongly about his dog. You could, sure, it just still seems a little self-destructive. Like, even if the things he's doing is good, it, he's putting himself in tremendous danger constantly. The, the odds that it goes as well it, it, as it has gone for as long as it has gone seem quite low to me. He's a highly skilled professional, of course, but there's a lot of bullets flying around and sometimes things don't go your way. Emily, Hank's point here, and I'll admit that he's drifted away from it, is that (laughs) Keanu Reeves is amazing and Keanu Reeves is trying to help you and you need to accept that help even if it only lives inside of your dreamscape. John, tell me about John Cena. Okay, so yeah, I have a lot of recurring dreams, but I would say that my recurring dreams about John Cena are probably in my top like two or three recurring dreams. And basically every dream what's happened is that I've had a nervous breakdown, which, you know, so far, very plausible. (laughs) And uh, I end up in a kind of inpatient- You have nervous breakdowns in your dreams? Yeah, of course. Uh, Yeah. And I end up in an inpatient kind of treatment facility. But the cool thing is I'm the only patient and the only doctor is John Cena. Now, I don't know anything about John Cena. Like, I know a lot about Keanu Reeves. I know nothing about John Cena. I know he is a professional wrestler. I know that he is an actor. Uh, I know that he is a strong person physically. I know that he is a meme I don't even know that he's a meme. I'm not on, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I'm not on the social internet. Anyway, (laughs) what happens is that John Cena, who is my doctor, uh, my, my personal trainer, my mentor, everything in my life, he just lifts me up both literally and figuratively. So we're doing like high ropes courses together. And he's telling me like, you can do this, John, like you're ready for this. And we're getting stronger together so that I can finally do a pull up on my own, like an entire pull up. And John Cena's like, yeah, you did it. You got to the pull up stage. Or we're learning how to do things that I've never learned how to do that have always made me feel a little bit like I'm incompetent in the world. Like, um, how do I do basic carpentry? Or how do I uh, change the oil in my car? And John Cena's like, here's how you change the oil in your car, man. And I start to just feel built up and built up and stronger and more confident and like a person who can go back out into the world and survive out there. This is a surprisingly healthy John Cena dream. John Cena is such a gift to my dreams. That's actually why I don't know anything about him. Like, I'm scared to Google him and find out something (laughs) negative about him because I need the John Uh Cena of my imagination to hang around and keep, like, building me up. Don't, Hank, do not tell me anything negative about John Cena. I heard that pause, and I don't know what was coming, but it better not be anything bad about John Cena. I was just yawning. I'm sorry. I have nothing bad to say about John Cena. I know nothing about John Cena, which is also fine with me, but I'm glad that he is in your dreams helping you out. John, do you want to hear another question from Christina? All right. Dear Hank and John. I've recently learned that penguins have brains adapted to functioning on very low or limited oxygen levels. Given Mm. their acclimatization to extreme environments, temperatures, and living conditions, they seem well-suited to space life. (laughs) Shouldn't the first terrestrial colonists to Mars be penguins instead of people? Shouldn't the first terrestrial colonists to Mars be penguins instead of people? Planets and penguins, Christina. Uh, Maybe not the first... I see a big problem with them being the first, which is that nothing against penguins, but they're not going to be able to solve all the problems that early Martians are going to need to solve. 
I mean, maybe we could solve all the problems for them, but set up a habitat, just a lot of fish. Got to bring a lot of fish along uh, for a full <laughs> penguin life cycle. Don't let them breed because that would that would be sad when their babies run out of fish. But other than that, <laughs> one penguin, just one penguin in a box and with a bunch of fish, I think it would work out. Uh, you, you know, John, I, I think that no, they won't be the first, but... Christina, you make a great point that eventually, you know, this will happen. We will start to bring other life uh, from planet Earth to planet Mars. And it won't just be humans. And early on, there's definitely going to be things that are good for, like, food. But also, once we terraform the planet, it's important to remember that, like, Earth-like doesn't mean, like, pleasant. So even a nice Mars, if we get some stuff in the atmosphere, if we get a little bit of warmth going on, it's still not not like not like Florida. It's not the beach. It's going to be Siberia up in there, which is a lot more hospitable than Mars right now because Siberia has like air and stuff. So we are going to want to bring life forms if we terraform the planet that are going to be used to a more rugged lifestyle. And as far as vertebrates go, like complex vertebrates, I think penguins might be a good place to start because they do not mind living in extreme environments. Hank, what does terraforming mean? Well, John, what do you what do you think? It's got those two words, terra. What is terra? Oh, God. You know what I hated most of all in science class when I was in <laughs> I high know, school? We, we've talked about this before. I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you. I'm sorry. I did it to you again. I liked it when they made me feel it's... like an idiot before they told me the answer. <laughs> that was my favorite thing about science class. All right. Well, we're all we all doing it our own way. But, yeah, it's just turning up another planet into something that is more Earth-like. So, ha- like, oh, so like ideally, adding soil? Yeah. Uh, eh, soil is important, but... Uh, but more like adding the ability to go outside without a spacesuit is like your first step in terraforming. And that's oh, so like, doing some chemistry. You got to warm it up. Yeah. And you got to have a lot more stuff in the atmosphere. Ideally, nitrogen and oxygen, which is what Earth's atmosphere is almost entirely. But, you know, also potentially other mixes if you hmm. can get whatever you can get going on as long as there's a fair percentage of oxygen. But just a higher level of pressure so that you can go outside without dying immediately well we're doing a pretty good job of changing the atmosphere here on earth so it's true so it's definitely possible it's a pretty large-scale project that we we uh embarked upon in order to substantially change change the uh the composition of you know particularly carbon dioxide which turns out to be a relatively small portion of the uh total gas in the planet but a very important percentage. Yeah, no question. Actually, I guess there is still sort of a question, right? Uh, according to who? I was just trying to get your goat because you made me do that thing where you have me try to define something I don't know how to define. This next question comes from Emma, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was just on the bus chewing a piece of gum, and I realized I had no idea what chewing gum is made out of, so I Googled it. Oh, Emma, never, ever <laughs> Google. Don't Google. And it turns out that gum is made of the same material as what's used in tubes, like rubber. Literally, I'm chewing rubber. Tubes. <laughs> what, what else did you think you would be chewing? Why, why on earth well, would I be chewing rubber? How did we get here? And just so we're clear, I'm still chewing the gum. No shame. If what we are is what we eat, then I'm a tire, Emma. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, some of the, the – there's like a specific 
uh, polymer that's in chewing gum that is also in like the inner tubes of tires. It's yeah. not just the tire tube. There's a lot more in a tire tube, and there's a lot more in chewing gum, but they do share an ingredient. Emma, I would actually argue that rubber is in some ways the least offensive ingredient in chewing gum. Like rubber, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Hank, but rubber comes from a tree. It's basically a vegetable. I, you could look at it that way. I will also correct you because you're wrong. This, this particular polymer is not... <laughs> From a tree, uh, oh. it's made in probably you know industrial facilities where they make polymers for various reasons, and one of the reasons is for chewing gum, I guess. And and that polymer is both in chewing gum and in inner tubes. Inner tubes also have other stuff. You might have noticed that your chewing gum doesn't taste like a tire, which is great. Uh, but yeah, they do share that ingredient, and it's a pretty important ingredient. It's the thing that makes it chewy. I mean, you gotta recognize that like you're chewing on something that is not food. Like it's definitely not food because it ah. never goes away. No, it's food. Like it's not. It's definitely not food. I mean, you can swallow it. I mean, it's amazing that calories. we created this thing. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, we were like, hey, you know what we should do? We should it. We should make rubber candy. That's great. Who thought of this idea? I just love how we process foods. I just think it's phenomenal. I, <laughs> people are always criticizing processed foods. You shouldn't yeah. eat processed foods. And of course, I know that they're bad for you and lots. But processed foods, if you draw a line, Hank, of how processed a food is, and you draw another line of how much I enjoy that food, I you've know. got one line. Because the more processed a food, the more I love it. This is like this is gonna make me feel bad because I, I know that our mom is gonna hate this if she hears it. But like same, and it like I, I is it just genetic? Is it how we were raised? Because we don't have that much in common, you and me. Like some things, sure, but we both love like food that is barely food. I I just went vegetarian for a month, and and after the month was over, the first thing like the thing I missed the most the whole time was freaking chicken McNuggets. Mmm, <laughs> I love a nug. I love oh, a good nug. I don't know about chicken McNuggets because oh, that, yeah. that would imply that the nuggets are from McDonald's. Yeah. So do you like like a nicer nugget, like a Wendy's nugget? No. God, Hank. How? Why? Why were you allowed to become successful when you have no ability to enjoy luxury whatsoever? Like, how can you come back to me and ask me if I like a Wendy's nugget? No, what kind I of like a good chicken about? nugget, Hank. I like a high-quality, next-level chicken nugget. $100, $200 a piece <laughs> kind of chicken nuggets. <laughs> it's like wrapped in gold foil, like the kind you see on uh, like on, on the, the websites of people who want to eat the rich. Those kinds of nugs, like the really bougie nugs. The bougiest nugs available. That's actually where, that's actually the brand name. <laughs> Bougie nugs. Bougie nugs. If it's it's not, like six hundred bucks for a, for a six pack. If it's not, we're gonna make a lot of money with our new business. Yeah, I mean, people have successfully convinced Americans to buy like ninety thousand dollar watches when their cell phones are also watches. So maybe we could convince people to spend six hundred bucks <laughs> on six nugs. We can find out. People sometimes people just want to show off their Instagram nugs. I often hear people say in conversation, mostly rich people say this, that the reason rich people are rich is because they save better and they're smarter with money. And that oh, is the wow. stupidest, 
BS I've ever heard. Because inevitably, those people are wearing like $70,000 watches and drinking $200 bottles of wine that they literally cannot differentiate from two buck chuck. Yes, it is concerning. I am worried about the state of the minds of the rich, John. They do not seem to. That said, I do enjoy a good, I do enjoy a, a pretty high quality, somewhat more expensive than chicken McNuggets McNug. Yeah. Wait. I do realize, though, that I'm going to have a hard time selling expensive nuggets now that we've talked about it because I do not know how to make nuggets Instagram worthy. Not that they can't be. It's just like I don't oh. understand the platform well enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you just started an Instagram account called Bougie Nugs, and then you have your nugs go on adventures. You know, you've got, like, sure. your nugs on a yacht. You got your nugs, like, hanging out with beautiful people with, like, highly sculpted bodies on the beach. Yeah, you they're, your they're, nugs. In the, they're at the coral reef getting all soaked up with that salt water. That's right. Where your nugs are scuba diving. got six-pack abs. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> No. I don't know. I don't think you want to anthropomorphize the nugs too much because then people are going to feel weird eating them. Ah, oh, no, no, no. I think that's part of the that's part of the thing. You're like, this nug gave its life for me. Oh, which is actually also already true about the actual nugs. Just for clarity. Wait, 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 wait. What are chicken nuggets made out of? A rubber, John. Oh, thank God. All right, let's move on. John, let's get to a more important question. It's from Ryan, who is actually apparently really a Ryan. Dear Hank and John, I've been riding my bike around Central Florida for years now without any issues with the local wildlife. However, this morning, I was riding my bike down a bike path and a squirrel runs past my bike and then does an immediate U-turn and goes right under my front tire. Is there a chance <laughs> that the squirrel is okay? My wife says that there is no chance it survived, seeing as the combined weight of me and my bike is close to 200 pounds. But I saw him get up and dart off in the bu into the bushes right afterwards. That means he survived, right? Exercise is not extermination. Ryan. Hank, this reminds me of my all-time favorite headline from The Onion. Final moments of squirrel's life, frantic, comma, indecisive. <laughs> That's a that's an oldie, John. That's from when it was a print paper. Oh man! Oh man! Oh god! Wow! I remember those yeah. those days when I, when I was when I was young. That was like before I was in college. That's when funny things. It's just such things... a dumb joke, but it's so true. Yeah. And every time I see a squirrel in the middle of the street, I think like, "This is it, man. You've got a choice here. You can either <laughs> oh, make." A decision, yeah. because all decisions will be good, or you can make no decision and die. <laughs> yeah, I um, just stop myself. I just stop in the middle of the road. And wait for the squirrel to make the decision? Yeah, and just like wait for somebody to hit my car in the back. I, I can't do it. I can't be a squirrel murderer, despite the fact that I am a... I am a consumer of nugs, which is... I was going to say, I mean, if they, <laughs> if they could turn squirrel meat into delicious nugs, Hank would be, like, <laughs> running all over like all Running over around town the billy club. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is that you live in Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is that okay? Can I make that joke? You can apologize immediately, but we have to leave the joke right. in. <laughs> Ryan, I apologize for that joke, but you have to understand, Hank and I grew up in Orlando, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I saw the opportunity, and I couldn't not go for it. I knew how happy it would make my brother. Um, 
no, the squirrel has a chance of survival yeah. for sure. I know this because I once rode over my brother's face. Oh, yeah. In a bike. It wasn't on purpose. Hank fell, mm-hmm. and I was right behind him, and I, I guess, rode over his face. I didn't notice it, but well, then he was you screaming. Noticed, you noticed that something happened because, like— Yeah, I noticed a little bump or something, <sighs> but I didn't, I didn't know what had happened. It was just, like, a highly dramatic, lots of, yeah. lots of screaming. I, I was a little confusing. Anyway, I turned my bike around, and Hank's screaming at me so mad. <laughs> He's probably, like, seven or eight you years old. You ran over my face! <laughs> And that's what he's saying. He's screaming and crying. You ran over my face. You ran over my face. And I was like, no, I didn't. And then I looked at him and the bike tire, there was like a tire mark that went all the way across his face. And I was like, oh, oh, I, I did. And look, I, did I, run over your face. I survived. And then I assume that we hid that from mom somehow. Uh, I Well, you were like, you were like, I got to tell mom. I got to tell mom. And I was like, listen. <laughs> If we've got no serious symptoms, no kind of lasting confusion, I'll wake you up a couple times tonight just to make sure you're good. Let's just wash your face and be done with this. <laughs> so so I survived. I would guess that I have sturdier bones than a squirrel. But look, if, yeah. you, if you like ride a – like so a bike, it depends – maybe it depends on the kind of bike. Like does it have a big fat tire or is like a big skinny tire because that's going to change your pressure situation. Like if it's right. a road bike, that's bad news. That's like a knife on wheels. Uh, if it's if it's a yeah, but if it's bike, like an underinflated yeah. tire in like a mountain bike, I think the squirrel's got a great yeah. If chance. you got shocks on the front, that's going to give them a uh-huh. little more a little more protection. And it did run away. And look, the other thing to remember, Ryan, is that like look, every squirrel eventually dies a sad and painful death. It's just the nature of squirrels. And and honestly, the only way, the only like possibly potentially not like sad and painful way for a squirrel to go is to like slowly fall asleep in the cold and freeze to death, which isn't an option for Central Florida squirrels. <laughs> Do you remember when I was in the hospital in Titusville, Florida, and you came very kindly and visited me and stayed with me, yeah. and the doctor? I, I kept saying uh, that I didn't want to die in Florida. I don't want to die in Titusville. I'm not going to die in Titusville. That's <laughs> what you kept well, saying. I mean, I, I don't. I'll be honest. Like, I don't, I don't want to die in Florida. I grew up there. It's a lovely place. I have wonderful friends there, and I want to die somewhere else. And the doctor was like, I, you know, I think just to err on the side of caution, we'd like to keep you for the night. And I was like, Mm-mm, nope, no, sir. Put me in an ambulance and drive me to the state line. I am not spending tonight in Florida. Uh, it's true. And he got out of there. And you were like, looking back, I thought that, that you were a little bit over-exaggerating the situation. But looking back, that was like not great. And also it was not, it was a, not nice a great hospital. situation. <laughs> like, it was it was not a great hospital, and it was not a great situation. The weird thing about my hypochondria, Hank, of course, is that I yeah. do sometimes get weird diseases. So it's very hard for me to tell myself, like, oh, no, you're probably fine, when, like, I've had orbital cellulitis, and I've had labyrinthitis, and I've had meningitis. Like, I've had a lot of the itises. <laughs> yeah, you, you have eosinophilic esophagitis. It's another itis. I have e- I, I forgot about that itis that I have. <laughs> I got so many itises, I can't even keep track of all of them. Man, it's not like you don't have them. 
Like yeah, we all so watch it's hard. Them. Like when you're a hypochondriac and sickly, it's a terrible mix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I was like, um, there's no way that John has a an, an, an giant eye infection behind his eye. He's making that up. And you know the first time I called you and I was ta- telling you about my ulcerative colitis symptoms, like before I knew I had UC, you were like, yeah. boy, I hope you don't have ulcerative colitis. That's literally what you that, said to me. Those were the first words out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it, sounds like, yeah. Well, it sounds like ulcerative colitis. I hope it's not that because that's not good. And I went to the doctor and he was like, I think it might be ulcerative colitis. And I was like, I've heard that's bad. <laughs> so thanks my brother who's an amateur google doctor says that's terrible (laughs) it's not great sometimes i've wondered how long i could make it in private practice as a family practitioner (laughs) like 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 is it hours is it days oh it's it's definitely days i wouldn't be found out on the first day unless there was something super weird Oh, okay. So, you, like, you, like, oh, I hear what you mean. I thought you meant like you went to school, you did the whole the whole thing, and then you had your first day at family practice, and like John, no bedside manner, green, has to see how oh, long yeah. he lasts before he loses his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a reason that like all the productive work I've done in my life has exactly one thing in common, which is that I'm alone in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty true. Uh, yeah. There's, oh boy. The reason why I'm your boss and not the other way around. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's get to another question. This one comes from Rebecca, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I work in retail, and as such, I ask the question credit or debit quite often. Sometimes people respond, whatever, just choose one. When I do this, what what do I do in this situation? Which one do I choose? I don't care. It's too much responsibility for me. Yeah. P&P, Rebecca. It is. It's, of course, too much responsibility for you because it's not. It's literally not your choice. If these, like, I think what's happening is that this person thinks they're making it easier for you. Like, just yeah. do whatever is easy. No, no, no. Like, they're equally easy. What's easy for me is being told what to do right now. This is not a perfect analogy, Rebecca, but when I was filling out my will, the lawyer guy was like, what do you want done with your body when you die? And I said, whatever, whatever they feel like is fine. I I have no preference. Just let them do whatever they want. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever is Which is how I feel. I was like, (laughs) I was like, but I do want a headstone, you know? (laughs) Whatever they do with my body. But I do want there to be a place where people go. And they cry and they're sad. And I want their and I want their tears to water an Indiana sycamore that slowly grows to be three hundred feet tall. But what what happens with my body is irrelevant. <laughs> and the lawyer said to me, and I I found this very helpful. He said, it it doesn't matter what you choose, but you should choose something because what the people who are left behind are going to want is a guide. They are going to want to have one fewer decision to make. Yeah, that person's already in a pretty stressful situation, and you want to make it as easy for them as you can. Exactly, Rebecca, which is why whenever someone says, whatever, just choose one, you should respond by saying, credit or debit. Yeah, it's not your choice. This is actually, there's a functional difference here, and the person should be able to make this choice. Otherwise, you just need to push whatever button is closest to your finger. Like, this is how I do fortune cookies, John. I have a, I had a problem. This was a significant difficulty I had in my life. The fortune cookies were delivered to the 
table. And then you're like, but which fortune is my fortune? Which one do Mm -hmm. I take? And so I have a a system that has rules that tells you exactly which, like once the server stops touching the fortune cookie, exactly which fortune cookie goes to which person, because I can't make that choice. It's too much pressure. And how have you found the fortunes to change in the years since you've used this strategy? Like they're, you know, not particularly accurate, but fun. (laughs) And like, that's it's not about like having my my fortune predicted. The numbers on the back are so also are not the lottery numbers. Uh, this next question <laughs> comes from not Orion, an anonymous caller, or I guess not really. Dear John and Hank, y'all, John especially, are really adamant about increasing the number of active voters in the United States. If you knew for a fact that a majority of non-voters would vote against your values, would you still promote this so much? I'd be lying if I said I was Ryan. Not Orion. First of all, John especially. Are you for real? I am adamant. <laughs> I am so adamant. How are you? How is John more adamant? What have you done that I haven't done? I need to do it. I started, I did a whole series called How to Vote in Every State. It tells you how to get registered, how to get your sample ballot, how to find your polling place, how to vote absentee okay. if you can. This is an interesting question, and I understand where, where it comes from, but... It's important to remember that, like, Hank and I are not political pundits. In fact, we have aggressively (laughs) avoided opportunities to become political pundits. That career path opened to us, and we were like, there that is. We could do – and then we were like, actually, that's awful. We walked down it a little bit, and oof, it's a bad place. Yeah, we didn't want to do that, uh, and we don't want to do that. So we're not political pundits. We are, if anything – civic boosters in the sense of trying to boost civics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for a fact that a majority of Americans disagree with me about issues that are extremely important to me and that if all Americans voted, the United States would look different in ways that wouldn't be necessarily good for me and certainly in some ways that I, I wouldn't agree with. But I really do believe that when all people in, in a country, participate in the governance of that country, the governance of the country is stronger. Yeah. People have more faith in the political institutions of the country, and that allows for a level of stability that we otherwise don't have. And so I, I think even though it might not be like good for me in a narrow sense, it is really good for me in a macro sense to live in a country where people are deeply civically engaged. Yeah, and I think that like voting is sort of the the gateway to civic engagement and to caring about your local community, to caring about your state and caring about your country and that that gateway leads not just to like voting and and like you know, having your voice heard, which is part of it, but it also leads to paying more attention to what's going on where you live, um, actually looking like like reading your the, like the pamphlet that they give you to to learn about the different ballot measures that are going on, researching your candidates and like spending more time understanding that we do have a say in how decisions are made. And that like if like the more people who understand that, the more people who are engaging and the more people who are making decisions feel obligated to listen to the people that they represent. Yeah, exactly. I think if everyone voted, the big benefit that we would see, even though there would be lots of 
changes to laws and regulations and tax structure and whatnot that I might disagree with and certainly that might be non-beneficial to me. The, the big difference we would see is that people would be at the center of U.S. political life instead of corporations being at the center of U.S. political life. And I think that would be a positive development. Yeah, I think there are other ways for us to uh, to handle that problem, but a lot of them rely on voting. <laughs> Which reminds me, actually, that today's podcast is brought to you by voting, because it doesn't actually have like a large corporate sponsorship behind it. Yeah, not really. It never really gets any marketing traction, but it's still a good idea. Super good idea. This podcast is also brought to you by John Wick's dog. Sorry I went that way, buddy. <laughs> and today's podcast is also brought to you by surprisingly healthy John Cena dreams. Surprisingly healthy John <laughs> Cena dreams. He just wants you to be your best self, and he knows that you can arrive there. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Bougie Nugs. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash dear hank zocdoc.com slash dear hank bougie nugs they got abs and they're on the insta all right this is from anna who asks dear hank and john my brother got me, my brother got me a poster for the very popular netflix show stranger things for christmas but the trouble is that i don't really love stranger things i mean don't get me wrong it was all right but i wouldn't put up a poster of it in my bedroom i know it would be cool to have the poster in my room because the show is very popular but i don't particularly enjoy it as much as my peers do and i don't want to seem like a fake fan also i don't want to hurt my brother's feelings by not putting it up what do i do i'm an imp poster anna oh, oh God, that's, that's amazing that's amazing wow wow this is a tough one because in a way it's on the brother this is why you don't get someone art or jewelry unless you're positive they want yeah. it like years ago sarah and i instituted a rule that like we couldn't get each other art for christmas because when we mm -hmm. did i would open the art that sarah got me and i would be like this looks a lot like art that Sarah likes. <laughs> yeah. And vice versa yeah. would be true as well. And I suspect that your brother is a pretty big Stranger Things fan. <laughs> or just or just was like last minute Amazon panic, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Um, or he went to like the local like or he went to like the local Spencer's Gifts and he was going through all the posters and he was like, well, she doesn't like the Grateful Dead or Fish 
<laughs> or not particularly clever marijuana jokes. That leaves only this Stranger Things poster. <laughs> that sounds about right. It's, uh, I, John, it's almost it's it. You have captured Spencer's gifts at least at a certain moment, extremely <laughs> accurately. I'm not sure. I if will that's say, what it's like I, mean, I haven't been in a Spencer's gifts <laughs> in half my life. I can't. I, it was fully half my life ago the last time I visited. The I did. I was recently in the mall, and it was still there. The 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 point is, Anna, your brother probably didn't think too hard about this gift, right? Or he wouldn't have gotten it for you. Yeah. That said, I do think you have to put it up on your wall. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to keep it there for forever, but like maybe right. maybe for a little bit of time. I just found out something very weird, John. Okay. Spencer's Gifts is owned by the same company that owns Universal Music Group. Oh. It seems like a conflict of interest. I mean, Hank, if you're going to start, like, (laughs) drilling down into (laughs) corporations that have, like, overlapping interests, you're going to get pretty depressed pretty quickly. Let's just focus on Anna's question, not not on the deep web of underlying corporate structures that this whole house of sand is built on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. That's probably for the best. The nice thing about a poster is that you can put it up for like uh, like two months and then and be like, oh, I found, I, it turns out I really like the bangles. I'm going to put one of their posters up. Or you just like it gets a convenient rip, you know? Oh, yeah. I was, I, was playing, I was playing volleyball in the room and uh, ripped the poster. You know how I am with my volleyball. You should have gotten me a volleyball poster. Anyway, this next question comes from Stephanie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I share a house with my roommate and her two cats, and I love her cats. They are fluffy and cuddly and cute. There's just one problem. Mm. My roommate talks to me through her cats. So we'll be having a normal (laughs) conversation. And then the moment a cat enters the room, I am now continuing that conversation with my roommate talking as the cat. I don't mind a small pause in the conversation to acknowledge their presence because cats are adorable, but I don't need to have a conversation with a cat about rent because, among other things, the cats aren't chipping in financially. It's a communication catastrophe, Stephanie. That, I mean, as soon as you said my roommate talks me through my cats, I was like, oh boy, I know exactly what this situation is and I don't like it. It's so passive aggressive to be like, manhole thinks you need to pay the rent on time. (laughs) I mean, if you're not paying the rent on time, manhole has a point. Listen, Stephanie, I personally have no problem with it. The thing is, manhole here really doesn't like it when you don't do the dishes. Yeah, well, and then you could be like, well, I heard Manhole say that he's actually never seen the dishes because he's freaking a foot, like half a foot tall. Furthermore, hey, Manhole, remind me, do you pay rent? <laughs> well, man, manhole could have an opinion about the dishes when Manhole pays half the rent. Exactly. Yeah. I'm interested oh in God. listening to what you think Manhole is thinking once Manhole begins contributing to this household in a financial way. I'm interested in learning more about the up, the, the like passive-aggressive upbringing of this roommate, who clearly their parents talked to in this way, and yes. it became a thing. Like, there's no other way this happens. Yeah. So, Stephanie, if you are able to, like, overcome the awkwardness that seems to be infused in this relationship, I would sit down with your roommate, ideally while Manhole is not in the room, and I would say, hey, listen, this is not a big deal. It's just a silly thing, but I noticed that every time the cat comes into the room, you start talking as the cat, and then sometimes you bring up things that 
you kind of like want me to do or need me to do. And I get what's happening and it's not a big deal, but just talk to me. It's a lot easier for me if you talk to me. And then we can just, um, you know, talk to the cats as cats instead of yeah. pretending that they are humans. Yeah, and Stephanie, I think that this this situation is like your your roommate is having a hard time dealing with conflict and is so is like creating a vector through which the conflict flows. And it's ultimately not a good communication strategy. Figuring out how to get around it is not super easy, but that's part of being a roommate and part of maintaining a relationship that you must maintain or else your life will start to be worse. Yeah, it's so true that you get into these spirals of not talking and then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and it's really hard to get out of. And the main way to not get like deep down into that spiral is to notice it when it starts to happen. Like my great, brilliant, amazing roommate, Shannon, she was a genius at that. Like she would be like, hold on. I am beginning to resent the fact that you never put away your Coke Zero cans. And I would be like, I wouldn't say never. And she would be like, as Exhibit A, I would like to point you to any surface in this apartment. (laughs) Hold up. I have discovered a resentment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The minute she discovered it, she'd be like, Oh, that's what I've been feeling. John, pick yeah. up your cans. That's uh, so important. It's so important to, to in any relationship in a, in, that we want to maintain for a long term. That's uh, so important. One time, Shannon uh, discovered a chewed piece of Nicorette gum on the uh, the nightstand next to her bed. And oh, she uh, she brought it into my room and she held it up to my face And she said, in a very sweet, caring, loving voice, if I ever find a chewed piece of Nicorette gum in my room ever again, I'm going to cut out your throat. (laughs) And that was very helpful to me. It expressed (laughs) the level of anger that she uh... felt. I'm so like, it's just, we should do a show about being a roommate with John so that everybody feels better about their roommates. (laughs) Jesus. John, is it time to get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon? It might be just because the news from AFC Wimbledon is going to take a minute. (laughs) Oh no. Okay. Let me know what's going on, John. Hank, you may recall that I made a video about AFC Wimbledon's astonishing, beautiful fourth round FA Cup victory over Premier League West Ham United. Uh And then the English Football Association claimed some of the content in that video and had it taken down off of YouTube. You recall this, yes? yes? I do remember. I I would insist that my video falls under the definition of fair use, but in the end, you were able to talk me out of suing the English Football <laughs> Association. Although I would like to point out for the record that the English Football Association has been screwing Wimbledon for 20 years now. It's the English FA's fault that Wimbledon had their league place stolen and sold to Milton Keynes in the first place so that the rich people in Milton Keynes could build a flipping Walmart. And that's not even an exaggeration. That's exactly what happened. And then the English FA had the gall to say that starting a new club in Wimbledon would be, quote, not in the wider interests of football. And then, and I realize this is not quite as big of a tragedy, they took down my video. (laughs) 
and and they also scheduled the fifth round FA Cup uh, Wimbledon game during my meet and greet at VidCon London. Truly the worst thing that the English FA has done to me in the last two weeks, which is really saying something, is that they scheduled the Millwall-Wimbledon game during Hank's meet and greet. Hank is going to be in London. He could have gone to the fifth round of the FA Cup, but no. No, the FA had to schedule the game. I am 100% sure that they looked at Hank's VidCon schedule and they were like, well, we know when Wimbledon will be playing. (laughs) Okay, John. Uh, So is that the news? Is there anything else? Oh, there is. There is. There is. AFC Wimbledon are in the fifth round of the FA Cup. We might be uh, absolutely locked to the bottom of League One, but we are on the greatest FA Cup run by far uh, since the club's reformation in 2002. It's a beautiful story. We're playing Millwall February 16th at 3 p.m. That's 10 a.m. Eastern time. It's going to be on ESPN Plus, I think, um, in, in, in America. And in England, it will be uh, live inside of AFC Wimbledon Stadium, and I will be there without Hank. (laughs) (laughs) So if you see me, uh, please say hi. Uh, If you don't see me, that's fine. We'll just enjoy the game together. But I'm so excited. It it, it is such an accomplishment to get to the last 16 of the FA Cup. And best of all, Hank, um, by rule... A member of the English FA has to be at the game, so I will have the opportunity to confront that person uh, and give them a piece of the who's what's. All right, see if you can get your video back up. I don't know about that, but I'm, I will be able to unleash some of my frustration. In fact, the previous time I saw England, in fact, the previous time I saw Wimbledon play in the FA Cup, I was, happened to be seated next to the FA official mm. uh, right before the game. And I said to him, this must be quite awkward for you. And he said, well, that's all in the past, isn't it? And then the person who was on the other side turned to him and said, oh, no. (laughs) Well, uh, I hope that you get the same experience and you can give them the what for and et cetera. Oh, man, I'm so excited to see AFC Wimbledon in the fifth round of the FA Cup. I know that we can't win that game. I know that they're a league ahead of us. I know that it's impossible, but still, I cannot help but hope. It's possible you beat a championship league team or Premier, Premier League. Premier League team. I don't know. You're getting there, Hank, and I, and I really appreciate your effort. What's the news from Mars? Uh, and the news from Mars, uh, so I'll try to do this quickly because there was a lot of news from AFC Wimbledon, but it's pretty weird. So there's a thing called a gravimeter that you use to like study the density of objects on a planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's because denser objects have more gravity, and you can actually tell that uh, with, a, with an instrument. And that tells you what certain things are more likely to be made of. It's a very useful tool. But we did not put one of them on the Curiosity rover, which is a problem because we really want to know what Mount Sharp is made of. It's this three-mile-high mountain in the middle of the crater that Curiosity is in right now. And it's sort of climbing up the side of this mountain. It's still very low on the mountain. But we want to know what it's made out of because we want to know if it's formed like uh, more like sort of how uh, mountains are formed on Earth, which is like they're up thrusts of tectonic force or volcanoes. And then uh, or in this case, maybe it's something to do with how the crater was formed and then uh, they erode away uh, as like water and, and 
and like wind do erosion on them? Or is it done like a sort of a unique Martian way where wind blows dust and like how like just due to the geological features, like the dust piles up in a certain place. And then over time, that dust sort of like grabs onto itself and becomes a sedimentary rock. And that would be Hmm. a totally new, weird way for mountains to form. And we want to know whether that is how something like Mount Sharp could have formed. But in order to do that, we'd need to know the density of the mountain. And in order to know that, we would need a gravimeter on the surface of Mars. Well, it turns out that Curiosity has accelerometers on it, just like your phone has accelerometers in it that tells it how much like things are moving and what orientation it's in. And you can actually use those accelerometers because gravity is an acceleration. It's 9.8 meters per second per second that on Earth anyway, not on Mars, that you can use the accelerometers on the Curiosity rover and turn them into a gravimeter. And they did that. And they did a study and they figured out that probably Mount Sharp is made of this coalesced dust rather than bedrock that has been thrust up, which is really neat. It's like a massive 15,000 foot high sand dune. Basically, yeah. That that has over, you know, literally billions of years. Uh, like coalesced and, and turned into rock. So it's not like a sand dune in that like you could dig through it with your hands, but right. it is like a sand dune in that it is made of particles of sand. That's that's just amazing. Like it's so cool to me that we have a chance to learn how geology happens elsewhere. Right, like yeah. the way that geology happens on Earth feels so natural and normal to us and kind of inevitable that mm-hmm. it's really mind-blowing to hear about ideas that mountains formed in completely different ways in the nearest rock to us other than Mm -hmm. the moon. Yeah, it's super cool. Very exciting. And uh, love me some Mars, John. (laughs) I'm getting pretty into Mars, too, these days. It's it's great. I'm also very excited about AFC Wimbledon. That game... That fourth round FA Cup game was something else, man. And, oh, it was and I know intense. that you're not even talking about like uh, the game that they lost uh, in the normal league, but oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's just, okay. Uh, you know, it's just part it's, of life. It's happening. You've you've given up. It's fine. I haven't given up. I understand, however, that we need to win ten out of our last seventeen games after winning four of our first like twenty five. So. Yeah. I haven't given up. John, thank you for patting with me today. How do people send us their questions? They can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. And we really appreciate all your questions. We're sorry for all the ones we don't answer. Also, we're off now to record our Patreon-only podcast at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. It's called This Week in Ryan's, and it's terrible. This podcast and that podcast are edited by Nicholas Jenkins. The producers are Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome.